<laughs> Sorry, that might happen a few times. Uh, hey, everybody. My name is Christian. I am just a simple member here at Ridgetop Church. And it's really exciting for me to get to talk to you um, and continue the series we've been going through on the Sermon on the Mount uh, that we've titled The Secret Life of Jesus. Um, today, we're going to look at Jesus' words on judging others that we just read. Most simply said, just judge not. Um, and I realized as I started preparing that there was something inside of me that really wanted to squirm away from these words. They wanted to start to rationalize and um, even like get out from under them and say, you know, maybe judgment doesn't really mean what I think it does, or uh, maybe there's times where it's okay to judge, but, you know, I was trying to go by my own standard in some way was even judging God's words. Um, there's a, a natural thing that we're constantly in the practice of judging. Like, I've, if you're on YouTube or TikTok or on the news, we're being asked to make moral evaluations all the time. We're being asked to judge and look at our neighbor and say that they're good or bad. <clears throat> but I think today I want to invite y'all to first look at these words simply. Um, there's a theologian, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who wrote about the idea of taking things simply that um, used the metaphor of a child where their father comes to them and says, hey, I want you to go to sleep. Um, and instead of going to sleep, the child says, well, what my father really wants is for me not to be tired. Um, so the kid drinks a cup of coffee, stays up all night, and then says, hey, look, I wasn't tired. Um, but for y'all parents in the room, just think of how amazing it would be if you asked your child to go to sleep. And they said, yes, sir, and went to sleep. And then the next day came to you and said, hey, were you concerned about me being tired? And then you could lovingly instruct and help them. Uh, I think for us, first, we want to take Jesus' advice and say, can we really abstain from judging people? And then I think as we go, maybe as we're trying to obey, we'll realize there's some complexity and difficulties there. Uh, and I think that's where the mystery and the goodness of what we're going to read today is going to be is by first obeying and then finding some of those mysteries. Um, I was confronted with some of this complexity a few weeks ago. I feel like it's been a month ago now. Uh, but we were at a, a mission trip called Beach Reach where we gave rides to people in South Padre. Um, and I was driving a van, and um, a girl got on our bus, sat down next to a Christian girl. And I can't usually hear a lot of the conversations because there's four rows deep and music and laughing and uh, but this conversation I could really hear, and it was just, you know, right behind me, right on the side. Uh, and the Christian girl was listening empathetically. The girl that I got on the bus, though, kept saying, only God can judge me, and I know that you think I'm a sinner. Um, but the, the girl that was listening was saying, no, we just, we just want to show you, we care for you, that we love you. But she said, no, you're judging me. Only God can judge me. So there, there's some confusion in... Um, even what this like word judgment means. Um, the, the girl wasn't afraid of God's judgment. She was afraid of our on the bus's judgment. Um, so today, uh, we're going to take you through three things. One is the bad way of judging. I think Jesus is going to show us the bad way of judging, and characteristically, that is hypocritical. Um, and then I think he's, we're also going to see what good judgment looks like, um, that it is merciful, that it's not prideful, that it's fair, and that it's discerning. 
So there is a bit of, you even see it at the very end of the section we're looking today, Jesus tells us to discern those pigs and dogs that would trample on the holy things we present to him. Um, so turn again to the text in Matthew 7.1. Um, y'all should be hopefully there and follow along. It says, judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but don't notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Um, so even as we read that again, for those that have been around for the last few weeks, there's a similar theme and word here of being a hypocrite. I feel like over the last two chapters worth of teaching, we've seen Jesus consistently tell his disciples, don't be hypocritical. Um, we heard things like, don't be hypocritical in praying or giving, that you would be seen by others, but do it in secret with the Lord. Um, don't be hypocritical in fasting, uh, trying to like show your pain and suffering, um, but fast for the Lord in secret. To not lay up treasure on earth, but let your treasure be with the Father in heaven. And in chapters 5 and 6, Jesus addresses the like following the law and the internal issues of the heart that are going on. But chapter 7 seems to mark a change to him helping people, his disciples, uh, figure out how they're going to interact with each other. It's a very like communal command that's being given. And it seems to still be on his mind that there is this threat of religious hypocrisy for his followers. Um, so right away, this first section is talking about this religious hypocrisy. Um, it's... I think it would be easy for us in the room to be like, no, Jesus is just talking to the Pharisees because there's stories maybe that we've heard. Um, Jesus tells a parable in another place of a Pharisee that stands up and thanks God that he's not like this man sitting next to him that's a tax collector uh, or like the unjust or the thieves. Um, but the tax collector was actually the one that Jesus said was justified because he was humble before God. Um, but Jesus is also addressing all of us in the room and his disciples. Um, he calls them brothers, a very like familiar term, and is teaching his brothers how to interact with the other brothers. Um, and even for us, before we want to like slip out and say that this was for some people a long time ago and not for us, um, the statistics of... Um, I don't know what people think about Christians now are kind of horrifying. So in his book, Unchristian by David Kinnaman, it was done a while ago, like 2007. Uh, he did some research and just asked people, uh, do you think Christians are hypocritical? And do you think that Christians are judgmental? And I forget the numbers, but they're behind me. Yeah, ages 16 to 29, it's like 85% say both. And this is 15 years ago. I was 15 at the time. I've got to say, in my opinion, it's gotten worse. Christian's public perception of being judgmental, critical, uh, telling one people that they should be judged for their sins and then themselves being like, no, we've received mercy from Jesus, is at an all-time high. Um, so we really need to listen. But Jesus, in this teaching, gives us some help on what to do. So let's look at that. In verse 1, he says, don't judge, that you won't be judged. Verse 2, Jesus says, for with the judgment you pronounce you will be judged. 
and with the measure you use, it'll be measured to you. Um, so I want you all to imagine with me for a moment a hypothetical situation. Um, imagine that this was really a reality. So you wake up in the morning, you know, your alarm goes off, you're kind of getting ready, but still asleep, and you hear your, your roommate or across the wall's alarm go off. Not once, but four times. And you're just thinking, man, that lazy punk. Uh, I, they just need to get up and do something with their day. Start driving to work. Uh, someone cuts you off, and you're like, man, that was inconsiderate of them. They are really only concerned about themselves. Uh, you go to work and feel a little anxious about a project you're working on, and someone starts talking about this coworker that they're, they're a little worse off in their project. And you're like, oh, this feels good. There's something that makes me feel like I'm doing a better job because you know, they're doing something wrong. So you're trying to like mine for information. Uh, maybe go home and eat dinner with some coworkers, and they're just like really going at the, the cheesecake afterwards. And you're like, man, that's, that's just not good. That's not healthy. But now imagine that after that day, you go and stand in front of your, your mirror and the exact amount that you judged others was now said to you. Uh, I don't know about y'all, but that sounds horrifying. <laughs> um, and that's just by our own standards of judging and speaking against people. The theme we've seen in Matthew so far is that God's standards are actually way higher than ours. That the people have loosened the biblical standards and making their own. Um, we looked in chapter 5 where Jesus says, you've heard it said, uh, don't murder. And I say, anyone who's angry with their brother has murdered them and is liable to judgment. That, that uh, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery, but anyone who's looked at a woman lustfully has committed adultery. So if anything, the standard in the Bible is higher and scarier than those. Um, the Bible says there's really just one judge and one law and one person that will judge that law, and that's Jesus. Um, and it's very like legal courtroom type language. I at first was confused uh, when I looked at the word judgment because just like in English, there's a bunch of different ways to use it. Uh, so there's one way that's like, hey, I'm making a decision. Like we were like, hey, you use good judgment in taking the right lane and not the left lane, you know. Uh, there's another way, which is like when the judge is in the process of listening and learning, judging. So like a judge judges, but then at the very end, they pronounce judgment. Um, and what we see in the text in verse 2 is even Jesus says, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. Um, so there's a finalness to what Jesus is talking about. A, I have evaluated you as sinful or unworthy, or evil in some way. Um, and so I, I think something we see here is that there's a brilliance to what Jesus is doing. He's making us look at how we will be judged by God to create some kind of fear of God that creates humility. Um, and the more we look at how great God is, and what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus, the more we'll feel, I guess, that we are falling short and don't want to be judged by the standard of all of his laws. Um, put up on the screen behind me is James 2, 12 and 13. I feel like it's a really good place to demonstrate this. It's a little intense, but that's good, right? Uh, For whoever keeps the whole law but fails one point has become guilty of all of it. 
For he who said, don't commit adultery, also said, do not murder. You commit adultery, but do murder, you've become a transgressor to the law. So speak and act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy, but mercy triumphs over judgment. Um, so I think something we're seeing here is that there's a third way, a new measure that we can use in judgment. We can judge by our own standard, which is scary. Judge by God's standard, or measure in his law, which is scarier. Or we can look for mercy from Jesus. Um, there, there's a bit of this that is, I think, unnatural for us. We're more prone to, um, if someone lies, call them a liar and tell them they should do different, or maybe more subtly, uh, talk about it behind their back, or maybe even more subtly, realize that we don't like them and ghost them and push them away from us, uh, which is essentially judging them as unworthy of yourself and your presence. Um, but the, the better measure for us is to approach people with the mercy we've been given by Jesus. Um, he is that one lawgiver, the one judge. Um, for those here that have a relationship with God, we know that when Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave and ascended into heaven, he gave people that would believe in him his righteousness. That when God looks on Jesus' disciples, he doesn't see the good deeds that they do. He calls those things like filthy rags, um, but instead sees the righteousness given by Jesus. And it's because of this that Romans 8.1 says, there is therefore no condemnation which is another like judging term uh, for those that are in Christ Jesus. Um, so the question is, what do you want to be? What do you want to be measured by? What do you want to be judged by? Um, at the very core of this, it's a gospel belief issue um, that Jesus is really pointing internal to us. It kind of mirrors what is said in chapter six, where Jesus says, "If you do not forgive others, neither will your Father in heaven forgive you. But if you forgive others their trespasses, yours will also be forgiven." Uh, that it's pointing to, do we really believe that we are sinners that have been forgiven by Jesus? Uh, if so, how do you approach someone else with a judgment according to rules? Um, when you yourself have been approached by Jesus intimately with mercy and grace offered by belief in him. Um, so we should do the same. Our approach shouldn't be instantly to try and change people's behaviors. Um, but I'm going to be honest, for most of us, that's going to be way more natural. Is I don't like this behavior, so I want to change the behavior. Um, but instead, we need to approach people with a plea, a generous plea for them to be restored to God. We need to approach with mercy. Um, in Luke's version of the gospel, which I don't remember, I might have put a slide for or not. Um, this exact moment is talked about. Um, but before Jesus says, judge not, he says, be merciful even as your Father in heaven is merciful. Uh, so we can see more of that design here, that there's our mercy from God is always supposed to be at the very, very core of this command to not judge. Um, so Jesus knew this kind of merciful, gospel-centered humility began first with us fearing God. That we would fear and be drawn to him um, humbly, submitting, looking for mercy. And this, some of the brilliance here is <laughs> if you've received mercy, then you're 
approaching others with mercy. And if you've not, you're drawn to him in fear, which is a correction. It's a way out. Um, Jesus gives us more help in verse 3. So turn or look again at verse 3. Um, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but don't notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? Uh, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So I think this is going to give us some more help in diagnosing and finding a way out of this inner prideful attitude. Um, I think it, we should really consider what would it mean to answer that question. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother eye, brother's eye and do not notice the log in your own? Uh, I think for me it would be easier to answer with God hates sin and I'm supposed to hate sin, so uh, aren't we like trying to do the same thing here? Uh, seeking out justice is good, so that's what I'm doing. I'm like trying to get some more good in the world. Um, I can say in my own words, Bonhoeffer again has a quote that I love and find very helpful, and I think it should be on the screen. Um, if we're really looking to destroy evil, we should look for evil where it is certain to be found, and that's in our own hearts. Um, or even here you could say, in your own eye. Uh, but if we're going to look for, out for evil in others, our real motive is obviously to justify ourselves. Or we're seeking to escape punishment for our own sins by passing judgment on others. And uh, are assuming by implication that the word of God applies to ourselves in a different way than it applies to others. So hopefully you hear some reflection of that James 2 passage too, of wanting instead of God to be judged to somehow elevate ourselves as a judge even above God's word. Um, there's an example in the Bible that I think really gives me even more clarity in this. Uh, it's that of King David. So David was a patriarch, a king, a good man, someone that was called a man after God's own heart, but had a like big moral failure that I feel like a lot of y'all are familiar with. He uh, essentially killed a man named Uriah and did so to forcibly take his wife as his own. Um, and in this moment, the, there's a prophet, Nathan, who came and confronted David. And he did it by telling a parable. He came to him and said, you know, uh, there are two men in the city, one rich, one poor. The rich man had lots of flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little lamb, which he had brought. Uh, and he grew up with it. He raised uh, with him and his children. It used to eat morsels and drink from his cup and lie in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Uh, but th that traveler, a rich man, came and was unwilling to take one of his own flock to prepare for a guest who had come to him. Uh, but he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man and had it given to him. Uh, then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who's done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he has no pity. And then Nathan responded to David, you are that man. Um, so something to notice is David was outraged at this hypothetical, who he thought was a real other person, but this hypothetical other person and wanted him to die for his offense. But when it came to himself, he wanted mercy. Um, 
he was angry and upset with someone else, but he was gentle with himself. He sought a way out of his trouble. Um, and this, this seems like it's the nature of being judgmental that Jesus is getting at by saying that there is a log in our eyes. That it, even for David, he had a blindness to his own situation uh, and a poor evaluation of others. And we do the same things. We're willing to sentence others while letting ourselves off for the same offense. Um, we're harsh with others, and we can be gentle with ourselves. We don't question the suffering we can cause others, but fear when we feel some pain threatening us. Um, we don't encourage others, but we want to instead speak to others about their faults. Um, for some of us, we approach with a spirit of detachment. We... Um, we observe and reflect and criticize as if we're outsiders in people's situation instead of loving and becoming near. We are at threat of being detached or unsympathetic or even objectifying the person we're talking to. Um, and in that, this place, that is probably a log you found in your own eye, like I have definitely found in my eyes. Um, and if we're going to answer that question, why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye and not notice the log that's in your own eye, we really can't make a good answer. Uh, the best thing we can do is confess that we are wrong um, and follow Jesus' advice and take that log out of our eye. Um, yeah, it seems like this is the hypocrisy threat to us is that we... Uh, we'll be blind to our own sin. Um, and we'll see a little bit later, even there's a goodness in that Jesus has set up a way for others to help each other um, with their sin that they're blind to. Um, and this is something cool to look at maybe is this is the second eye parable we've seen. So a few weeks ago, Cooper taught um, on the section where Jesus describes that if your eye is healthy, your whole body is healthy. And if your eye is damaged or hurt, that your whole body is dark. And he encouraged us that in that place, we should look to Jesus. And as we saw earlier with the advice of fearing God and looking to the mercy of Jesus, that's the, the place we find ourselves again. Um, yeah, otherwise, we're a threat of judging others by a different standard. Um, one theologian noted that when Jesus is speaking, he's speaking to everybody. So what's <clears throat> a log to me in my eye is a speck to you. But what is a log to you should be a speck to me. And from our own perspective, even if there was a, a stick the size of like a mere dime, it would completely blind and cover our vision. Um, so we, we see the same thing practically happen with us where uh, if you're really looking for sin, you should observe it in yourself all day long. Um, if I know, Noah's my roommate. Sorry to call you out, Noah. Uh, <laughs> but if I'm upset with things Noah does, I see him 30 minutes, an hour a day. But from my own perspective, I observe my thoughts, my words, my actions, hours on hours on hours a day. Um, every moment of bitterness, every little sin, every bit of anger. Uh, ironically, I'm going to see in myself <clears throat> more than I would even be able to see in others. 
And sadly, I find myself more choosing to be willfully blind um, than just being afflicted by some kind of confusing blindness. Um, there's a, a quote from John Stott that writes it this way. The, the command to judge is not a requirement to be blind, but rather a plea to be generous. But generous, merciful judgment takes energy and time. It requires an eye for complexity, a willingness to give the benefit of the doubt, a self-distrusting posture, a prayerful heart. It is far easier to madly swing the gavel. Um, and I think in the difficulty of what it takes to actually look inward and look at my own sin, I found it far easier to just be blind to it and madly swing the gavel. Uh, I think of even, you know, I taught here a few months ago. Uh, and if I really wanted to look for sin in myself, I could go listen to that and hear how I come across. But I don't want to listen to it. <laughs> I don't want to listen to myself speak and in that way judge myself the same way I've judged other speakers. Um, maybe some of y'all are musicians. And you're like, I don't want to listen to myself sing. That would be scary. Or for y'all that keep journals, I don't know if anyone's ever went back and read a journal from two years ago. It's kind of horrifying. You don't want to know who you were back then. <laughs> Um, so there's this bit of even like willful blindness that can threaten us that we don't even want to know our sin. It's not that we can't see it, it's that we don't even want to. Um, recently I was in a prayer meeting and was sitting there and noticed someone texting in, in their email. And I got so frustrated. Like, this is a prayer meeting. We're supposed to be uh, honoring God. Like, who are you to be texting? This is so discouraging and insulting. And then I thought, well, how would I know that they're not texting? <laughs> but that I'm not looking to God. I'm looking to them. I'm watching them, hearing what they do. And, and because I was preparing for this, <laughs> I was reminded of Jesus' words. Uh, but then also realized, deep in my heart, I didn't really want to pray either. I was just trying to bide the time to get out of the meeting. Um, and so what I was doing internally and trying to hide was just external to somebody else. Um, but in that place, mysteriously found mercy for myself and then also for the other person. So this is the second tool God's given us. One is to fear God, <clears throat> find humility from fearing him. The second is to reflect on our own sinfulness. This should be a habit for us. Um, we're limited. If we were blind and deaf, it would be really hard for us to judge anybody. Um, I don't really have a good point to make from that, but something I just found really cool. In Isaiah 11, there's a section that is talking about the Messiah that's to come, so talking about Jesus. Um, I'm going to read it for you. It says, And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. So Jesus, a good judge, doesn't just rely on his eyes and ears, but again is pointing us back to fearing God and submitting to God. Um, and he's the only one that is a good judge that actually can judge in righteousness. Okay, so we've recognized our own sin have a healthy fear of God. We focus on him, looking to him. Uh, 
we're judging in the way we want to be judged based on the gospel of Jesus. Uh, it's at this point we're actually ready to do some speck removal. Uh, hopefully do some speck removal. <laughs> Jesus instructs in verse 5, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Um, so what does this speck removal look like? Jesus doesn't go in and say, okay, and here's how you do it. Uh, get a pair of tweezers. I don't know. Um, what I've actually found is it's a loving warning. Um, the concern of those doing speck removal is to restore the person to God. Um, I, in my everyday reading plan, just happen to be reading through Second Chronicles, and for some have complained a lot about it, which I shouldn't have. Um, but found some gold in there, and just like everyday reading, um, because Jesus has established people in Israel's history that were judges, um, that are even called judges. <laughs> Uh, and when he establishes one of the times, he, he gives them direct instructions and in what it looks like for them to do this job. Uh, so Second Chronicles 19, I believe. Is that right? Yes, it is. Um, says this, and he, who's the person appointing them, said to the judges, <clears throat> consider you what you do. You don't judge for man, but for the Lord. He is with you in giving judgment. Now then, let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Um, so again, their judging is not to satisfy themselves, but is a like delegated act from God, who's the real and only judge. And we see in another place that he charged them, thus you shall do in the fear of the Lord, in faithfulness and with your whole heart. Whenever a case comes to you, uh, from your brothers who live in the cities concerning bloodshed, law, or commandment, statutes, or rules, then you shall warn them that they may not incur guilt before the Lord, and wrath may not come upon you and your brothers. Thus you shall do, and you won't incur guilt. So we've seen a lot of the previous ideas we talked about reflected here, but also that their role was to warn people of God's judgment, God's wrath. Um, they're trying to restore people back in relationship with God. So this is actually a like profound act of love. It's far easier to say nothing in fear of what it would cost to you than to actually go to someone and try and help them find a way back to God. Um, and it said it in that word that they were to warn. Yeah, then you shall warn them that they not, may not incur guilt before the Lord and wrath won't come. Um, I had a friend that was very, very good at this. Um, and there was a day where I was cleaning up in my workplace. This is back when I was an intern at the BSN 10 years ago or something. Um, and he came to me closely and said, hey, I have noticed you, you've said some things that I found offensive. And I don't know what's going on exactly. But I've also noticed that you've been like unmerciful and intense with yourself. Um, I know what that's like. I've done that. Um, and it seems like that would push you far away from the joy of knowing God. Can I help you? Uh, that is the easiest rebuke I've ever had to take in my life. <laughs> uh, it was also really painful. Because when he said it, I knew he was right. And there was, <laughs> he approached me so lovingly, there was no way for me to get out. <laughs> 
But there's also something in us that my nature could have been to attack and return. You know, if he had maybe not been gentle or he hadn't been kind, um, I could have turned on him. He was also really vulnerable and told about hard things in his life um, and how he had changed. And I could have dogged on him and said, this is your fault. Uh, you're just projecting that on me. And actually, you're so wicked, who are you to say anything? Um, but I didn't, which is nice. <laughs> uh, but there is a kind of intimacy and vulnerability that comes with going to a brother and trying to restore them back to God, warning them of what it would mean to walk away or in some way disobey God's commands. Um, it's this that leads me to Jesus' warning in verse 6. Um, Jesus says, Do not give dogs what is holy, and don't throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn and attack you. Um, to someone you first read this, you're like, is this part of the same section? <laughs> um, but it just ties in so perfectly, seeing that there is a kind of judgment that the disciples need of maybe even those people that would call themselves brothers, but when approached vulnerably and with holy and good things would turn on them. Um, some of this is, feels odd to us because we think of dogs, and sometimes pigs too, as like friendly, pet-like animals. <laughs> Um, but in, in the Jewish world, dogs were uh, horrible animals. They roamed in packs. They were mangy. They were a threat to anyone who went outside of the city and were characteristic of, like, eating anything, scraps. They would even were known to, like, go to graveyards and eat, like, human bodies and stuff. Um, so it was an extreme, almost like insult, of someone who had given themselves over to evil to call them a dog. Uh, pigs in the same way were seen as unclean. I think of like the javelina in Texas. I don't know if any of y'all are like country people and have gone out and <laughs> maybe been driving by and just seen one hear you, be upset with you, turn and sprint after the car. Uh, where they have that nature of, you know, something is upsetting me, I'm going to go and attack it. Um, and I think that's what Jesus is getting here is there's a, a threat or, I don't know, something to presenting what is holy and good to those that are going to directly attack and return. Um, so somewhat confusingly, Jesus is saying, don't judge, but then also have good judgment and know who these people are. And some of it is to prepare them. He's trying to help them and give them the tools for when this does happen, because it will happen. Um, yeah, I spent a summer in Malaysia with a North Indian people that kind of has a reputation across the whole world as being like stubborn, like party people. Um, and we had been going to Gurdwaras, and which are like uh, kind of temples of sorts, talking to people about who Jesus is, and had found them to be kind of like stubborn, dismissive, and we're having some trouble. So we heard of a, a group of Christians that were from the same people group in the city. And we're like, man, maybe they figured it out, because <laughs> we definitely haven't. Uh, so went to them, talked to a pastor, and just asked for advice. What are we doing here? What are the parts of the gospel that make sense to your people? Um, and instead of giving us the help that we looked for, he talked about how horrible his people were. 
And he actually used this phrase. He says, don't throw your pearls before pigs. Um, and our team was young and didn't know what to do, so we walked away. But then as a team, we're like, this doesn't make sense, right? Like, they were from this people. And at one time, they were presented with the pearl of the gospel, and they cherished it. So there was something wrong or even, to I mean, go back to what we're saying, judgmental in the way they saw their own people. Uh, but there was also something real about their warning, and the balance of that was hard to find. Um, a few months after we left, I think 12 to 20 of the people in the area had followed Jesus. They had seen that holy pearl, the precious thing, is good. Uh, but others within their community um, viciously attacked those that shared the gospel, uh, so much so that the missionaries that were there had to flee the country and leave forever um, at threat of being you know, killed, I guess. Uh, so there's a balance here, and it's hard to find. There's a call to use some discernment. Um, in the New Testament Acts, you see Paul walk in, share the gospel with people, be beaten almost to death, and thrown outside the walls of the city, and then be urgent to go back inside, <laughs> uh, saying, you know, they, there's still people there they need to hear, and the others being like, no, don't go. <laughs> uh, be saved, go somewhere else. Um, and then there also seems to be an element of managing the resources that God has given you. Um, practically, we only have so much energy, so much time, so much, I guess, holy pearls to give. Um, and sometimes it's our tendency to really focus on those who don't want it. I think of being in a park and, you know, if you share with someone and they attack you in return, you can really just go walk to the other 100 or 500 people in the park. Or if you're on UT's campus and share with someone and they hate the gospel and hate Jesus, you can move on to one of the other 40,000 students that don't know who Jesus is. Um, and in some ways, that is being a good steward of the precious things that you've been given. Um, but there's a hard part that it feels hard or cruel to leave those people you care about. And I would encourage you, if you're in this situation, find someone older than you and ask them uh, what they do in that situation. I think these are hard things to figure out in a day. Um, I think there's also part of this that there are people that will call themselves brothers or Christians who do the same thing. Take the precious truths of the gospel, maybe take your own testimony and tear it apart. Um, and is seeking, as we saw earlier, to justify themselves. Um, and over and over in the New Testament, we're warned that we should look out for that. Um, so, this is a rough transition, but just moving on. There is a single spiritual discipline that I have found to be really helpful for me in this whole conversation, and it is that of silence. Um, I've learned that with my mouth, I can control how others perceive me, and I can control my situations. Um, so there is a almost like forced humility that comes by giving those things up and in lieu of trusting my mouth that is running me into sinful situations, I have to trust God. Uh, what comes to mind is Psalm 46 that says, Be still and know that I'm God, for I will be exalted among the nations. I'll be exalted in all the earth. So there's even a stillness, a quietness that is a mark of those who trust God and not their mouth. Um, I also think there's, some of us are quiet-natured and would never imagine saying a, pronouncing a mean word to anybody. 
uh, but there's also a kind of internal silence or stillness. Um, one that is focused as their eyes set on Jesus and not on uh, being critical or, I don't know, judgmental of those around you, even though it is deep inside. So my encouragement to all y'all is to try this practice. Be quiet. It'll give you more time to listen to people, to really understand the situations you're in. Um, hopefully create humility. Um, and lastly, to end, there's only one lawgiver and judge that does not see by his eyes or ears, but sees rightly, and that's Jesus. Um, all vengeance and final judgment belong to him, and he alone lived the perfect life under God's law. Uh, all of us are subjected to being judged harshly or even condemned by hell, condemned to hell by our own merits. But Jesus didn't judge us by the law. Seeing that we couldn't be righteous on our own, he lived a life without sin. He died on a cross. And he was raised back to life. He's extended us mercy. Um, now for all those who believe in him, he doesn't judge by the law, but invites us to live like he did humbly warning others and extending love and mercy to all. So don't judge harshly, but serve others by warning them mercifully. And I think I'll just invite up Robert. Are you next? <laughs>